Look with me in Matthew chapter 2 as you are, are seated. If you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, we'll kind of look there, but we'll also be looking at some other places. Before we get into the message this morning, just to give you a sense of what we're looking at here, specifically focusing on two different characters within this portion. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard that he heard this, he was disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people, chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where is the Christ was to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. And Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him, and they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of incense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to the country, to their country, by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in the dream, Get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And so he got up, he took the child and his mother, and during the night and left for Egypt to where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so it was fulfilled... The Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. And when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. And then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This morning, as you notice uh, on the screen, our passage is, Don't be a Scrooge. Last week, hopefully stayed away from being a Grinch. This week, but to not be a Scrooge. Now, some of you aren't exactly sure. So, uh, I just want to start with this. You might be a Scrooge if, and just kind of see if it fits with this. You might be a Scrooge if you turn on the lawn sprinklers on Christmas Eve to keep carolers away. <clears throat> you might be a Scrooge if you buy all your Christmas gifts at a store that also sells gas. You might be a Scrooge if your favorite Christmas movie is Jurassic Park. You might be a Scrooge if your idea of a Christmas dinner is cranberry ginger ale and a cheese log. You might be a Scrooge if your best Christmas tradition involves fire and reindeer meat. 
You might be a Scrooge if your favorite pastime is putting defective bulbs in your neighbor's strings of Christmas lights. You might be a Scrooge if people actively avoid you at Christmas parties or if you actively avoid Christmas parties altogether. You might be a Scrooge if your idea of holiday fun is throwing snowballs at those Christmas carolers who now are wet from the sprinklers. You might be a Scrooge if your only holiday decoration is a rotting pumpkin. Still up from Thanksgiving. Speaking of holiday decorations, you might be a Scrooge if this is your holiday decoration. (laughs) If that's the way you like to decorate. You think that's bad? You might be a Scrooge if this is your holiday decoration. (laughs) Whew. I tell you. You think of Scrooge, hopefully you've heard about Scrooge before, Ebenezer Scrooge from A Christmas Carol, uh, not just movies, but a novel in 1843 by Charles Dickens, and we often use that term, and somebody is a Scrooge, who is a Scrooge, and, and as we think about finishing out our fight for joy this year, it just makes sense, it is hard to find a more joyless person at Christmas than is represented by Scrooge. Who, when told Merry Christmas, he says, What? There you go. Bah humbug. Not just that. Uh, He would say, If I could work my will, then every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips, and should I say this in some kind of English, uh, right? That should be the way it is, should be boiled in his own pudding and buried with a stick of holly through his heart. That's the Scrooge we're talking about. It's not just Christmas that he has a problem with. It is Merry Christmas. It is really the merry part of all of that. And yet as horrible as uh, Ebenezer Scrooge may seem, at least as he was at first, the reality is there is somebody that is much more a Scrooge and much more horrible within our story here today. In fact, there are two contrasting kings, those who, in a sense, were the Magi who came from the east and King Herod and those two different kind of people and who they represented. But lest we think it's all about some old story of long ago, there are still Scrooges amongst us today, even amongst us here. In fact, we are often more like Scrooge than we would like to admit when we really break down what the real issue was. In fact, the real issue in many ways could be summarized from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2-4, to who says this, For people will be lovers, speaking of what will happen, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. It's a pretty good description of Scrooge. 
pretty description of many people these days. And ultimately, of all those characteristics of this penny-pitching, greedy miser that life became miserable, what made it so much so was his selfishness. Mary is not just against those who are being joyful, but he couldn't be. Whether it was because of what happened when he was young, we know in the story that his mother apparently passed away, his father didn't want him, sent off to be at boarding school, left there when no one else was, to the later time when his betrothed, who he was to be wed, who broke it off with him, so to speak, because he had just, in a sense, had another love, money, and gathering more and wanting more for himself, a life that really revolved around himself. As we think about our fight for joy, one of the things that we haven't talked about this week, this whole year, perhaps even, that will lead us down a wrong path away from joy is selfishness. Selfishness leads to joylessness. That's just a fact. Selfishness will always, in the end, lead to a joylessness. If we're not going to be a Scrooge at the very core of what it means then about being a Scrooge, then we need to see some change. And how we look at things and how we live our life. There are two keys that we're going to look at today to change. And that first key is that we need to exchange a self-centered life for a Savior-centered life. In Matthew chapter 2, we see the wise men uh, coming it says in verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Judea, during the king, King Herod, Magi from these came from Jerusalem and asked. They, they, these wise men came seeking the Savior. Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star in the east and we have come to worship him. They knew who they were looking for, so to speak. They were seeking the Savior of the world. Nothing else mattered to them. They left everything else behind to focus on seeking the Savior, which was a far cry from what Herod was doing, and just seeking for himself. It's like Scrooge. I think of Scrooge and Herod. It, uh, maybe it's not so much that they hated Christmas, but they hated a whole lot more. And maybe it's not just that they hated. It's that they rather did not have love for anyone or anything else other than themselves. Which seems to evidence itself sometimes as hate or whatever it is. But Scrooge, Herod, was only out for himself, his own good. Yet 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 24 says, Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each of you not only look to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Why do we look to ourselves? It's selfishness and, and the all about us. And some would say, well, it starts when we're kids. For some even, boy, it starts at Christmas time sometimes and the way things go. Parents who overindulge their children. Now, this wasn't obviously Scrooge's motivation. He didn't start out this way. He obviously started out good in some ways. People talk about how some parents give their children everything that they ask for. And actually, usually children aren't just asking, they're demanding and expecting and, and create spoiled, selfish children whose focus is very self-centered. That's how they end up growing up then. Now, obviously, sometimes the motives of parents are good and they want their children to be happy. Although sometimes the motives of some parents are, are a little less than good in that they just don't want their, they just want their children not to be unhappy. Are you with me? What do you think about the difference? There are those, ah, I just want my, I just want my kid to be happy. And there's others, I just don't want my kid to be unhappy. Because when they're unhappy, I'm unhappy. They're miserable, and then I become miserable. And so, what do we do? Instead of having to suffer with that, we just to keep them happy. And in the end, teach A fairy tale kind of life that's not real. That has a limited happiness that has an expiration date on it. Not a lasting joy. A lasting joy that is not dependent on what we get or what we don't get. A lasting joy that is not dependent on what happens to us or does not happen to us. We're not passing that kind of joy on. We're passing the temporary, temporal joy. You know, even with adults, we still do that. Have you got people in your life that you just try to keep them happy? Even what they want, just let them get their way. Which we know doesn't work because they're never happy. It doesn't really work for long. It's, it's never enough. Not, not because you can't do enough. Not because you're not good enough. But because the focus is on self. And selfishness only leads to joylessness. Let's just be totally honest about it. Though. Those who sometimes act as the martyr and having to give in and let people get their way, it's not totally unselfish. There's a sense that when we do that, we're not really doing it because we really love and care for them. We're just doing it because we think somehow we'll get something out of it. Somehow maybe they'll treat us nicer or be kinder to us or maybe they'll do this. And so our motivation is selfish as well. We're self-centered in our expectation and what we want and what we're looking for. And it goes along with this whole idea of that God wants me to be happy kind of talk that justifies a self-centered, self-focused, selfish kind of thinking and actions. 
that somehow are justified by the fact, well, but it's okay because God wants me happy. You know what? God does want you happy. But He has a plan on how that happiness is to be worked out. He has a plan on how He wants to provide that happiness and how we are supposed to walk. A plan that is focused on the Savior, not a plan of happiness that is focused on self and what we want. Not on temporal wishes or temporary feelings of happiness. Not as an excuse for sinful or selfish behavior. It's like those who would justify an affair by going to be with someone else is saying, well, God just wants me to be happy. Besides the fact that that is a self-focused, self-centered way of thinking and not a Savior-centered way, because a Savior would not do that. You got to question that whole philosophy that God wants everybody happy because if that's really true, then in your pursuit of your happiness, you are making your family and your spouse extremely unhappy, which goes counter to God wants everybody to be happy. Your pursuit of happiness is crushing the happiness of others. It is only a definition of Scrooge. In the pursuit of our happiness, in the end, we lose the joy of the Lord. The problem is when we get everything that we wanted and every wish on our wish list, we still feel empty as the open package in front of us. It's all tied to empty promises of happiness. Somehow we'll get now, Scrooge didn't understand how anybody could be having a Merry Christmas. Including his nephew would say, the Merry Christmas, Uncle. God save you. Of course, he said, bah humbug. Christmas a humbug, Uncle. You don't mean that, I am sure. I do. Merry Christmas. What right have you to be merry? What reason have you to be merry? You're poor enough. It's all tied in what you've got. Part of the problem is not just that, according to all that, what his desire is for more and more, the Scrooge wanting self, to get that happiness, you've got to get more. You've got to grab all that you can. It's got to be that gimme, gimme kind of thing. You know? This is a picture just down at the mall. uh, No. You think about that. Black Friday. You know, he really just won everybody, you know, and to the point of, oh no, I gotta have, I gotta Think of what lengths we will go to in all of this. Again, I don't want to be a Scrooge in talking about this and somehow bah humbugging Christmas gifts or celebrations. Don't misunderstand. We said earlier, our Father, good, good Father, loves to give good gifts to His children. God, our Father, promises to meet our needs. And let's face it, so many times He does more than just meet our needs. He gives us our wants that are in line with His will. But the point of the message today is not that there's something wrong with getting good things, but 
that when our focus, our attitude is self-centered living, we're missing and we'll continue to miss the real joy of the Lord. For some, there's a materialism that they think will fill the void. Got to have this, got to have that, got to have that one, this, this, whatever it might be. It doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be anything even necessarily to actually pay for. But just acquiring and getting this and it becomes an addiction and it just wants more and more a roller coaster of highs and lows. I feel good and happy. Now I'm not. I'm up and down. I'm up, down. Don't feed the greed. Instead, as Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. You know, so often we say, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But we forget the context there. One of those things has to do with being content in Christ. Savior-focused, not self-focused. Not storing up for ourselves treasures on earth where moth and destroy and thieves break in and steal. Much like Scrooge, Herod had a very self-centered life that was focused on him. Not, not all of that do we read in our passage, but as we look in the history books, as we learn more about his life. The problem is, much like Scrooge, could you have told him in that moment, you know, when his, even his nephew was trying to talk to him, could you have told him, uh, that's, you're just heading the wrong way. He wasn't going to hear it. How could I be heading the wrong way? I'm sitting here. I have everything I need. I am, I, I, I'm a success. So to Herod, as bad as he was, really thought he was good. He thought everything was good because things were going good for him. You think about the success that he had that somehow justified his selfishness. The success that Herod had, and we may not realize it in so many different areas of his life, he survived many different regime changes in that world at that time. There was this person going against this person, and you know about Cleopatra and all those kind of things. We hear that, but there was things that were happening, Anthony, and all this stuff that was happening. And he would position himself in just the right place, somehow get there and somehow survive through so many different things. And then there was all the building projects. Herod really is known for some amazing, not just humongous kind of projects, but ones that were innovative and aqueducts and theaters. A great time of prosperity under Herod building, even the temple. We think about the great temple that, that Herod's, they would call Herod's temple, it really wasn't his, but he was the one who helped to build that at that time that would have been later uh, uh, through Jesus' time as he walked this earth. There was a lot of successes he could point to. So what's wrong? What's wrong with my life? I'm a success. Except that, just like nobody likes Scrooge, 
Nobody liked Herod. He did all those things for the people and they still hated him. Because they knew who he really was. And as we think about all of this and exchanging the that that life, so to speak, that self-centered life for a Savior-centered life. There are examples today of those who are not taken in by the world and its systems and, and turned into Scrooges, but rather can still be wise men seeking after a Savior. Uh, I have a video I'm going to show you here in a moment that's uh, a guy named Nick Foles. And usually NFL players are not known for their unselfish or seeking a savior kind of thing. It's kind of the opposite. Somehow the press that gets given to them a lot of times. Uh, many of you may not know who he was. He, he's not just any player. I mean, last year he uh, backup quarter that quarterback that led his team to the Super Bowl and they won it. Now he's with a different team at Jacksonville, and things happened, and he got hurt. And so there's a press conference that I want to show you, and hopefully you'll be able to hear of what he has to say. Now, obviously, you reckon, this is not Nick Foles, by the way. <laughs> Just in case, I know some of you have a, a, an opinion about football players, but they really don't look like this. Um, this was more of just that whole commercialism and recognizing the grin. So week after week, not playing, you're a football player. You're watching this young kid go out, this Minshew mania is going crazy. I know you're a man of faith, and I know you're trying, but you're also human. I mean, ever any doubts coming up in your mind as you go through that? Or? No, that's where, you know, right when, this, right when I felt this thing break and I was going into the locker room, I just realized, you know, as well as God, this wasn't exactly what I was thinking when I came to Jacksonville. Obviously, you come here and you want to create a culture and impact people. But at the end of the day, as I got, if this is the journey you want me to go on, I'm going to glorify you in every action, um, good or bad. And, you know, I still could have joy in an injury. Um, and that, that's people hear that and say, that's crazy. But it's like when you believe in Jesus and you, you go out there and you play, and that's that changes your heart. And you only understand it when, you know, that purpose in your life, just like when I hoisted the Lombardi trophy. The reason I'm smiling is my faith was in Christ in that moment. I realized I didn't need that trophy to define who I was because it was already in Christ. And that's my message when I play. Same thing happens when I get injured. We tend to make this so much about us as human beings. We tend to make it about us as athletes. It's not about us. It really isn't. If you make it about yourself, you're probably going to go home at night, lay your head on your pillow, and be very alone and very sad. And then hopefully someday you can find that purpose in your life. Because my purpose isn't football, it's impacting people. And I, my, my ministry happens to be the locker room. And I've been able still to get to know people, get to know these guys through an injury. Though I might not be playing, that is difficult from a fleshly perspective. But from the spiritual perspective, from my heart, I've been able to grow as a human being to where I feel like I'm at a better situation here as a person than I was before because of the trial I just went under. And I know that's a sermon in itself, but... That's how I go through life, and the good Lord's been there to, you know, it's not always about prosperity. I don't believe in the prosperity gospel. I believe if you read the Word of God and you understand it, there's trials along the way, but they equip your heart to be who you are. So um, when I step on the field, I'm going against a man in Frank Wright who's very similar. He's a guy that I admire more than anything. He's a guy that has impacted my life so much, and he's going to be on the opposing sideline. So um, that's going to be fun. So you see him... Even recognizing it's not about being self-centered. 
So being Savior-centered in whatever happens in life and what goes on and living our life that way is where we find the joy. But we need to recognize it's not just about that. In fact, let me just show you a few pictures. By the way, I am not... (laughs) These were not drawn by my child. That's my drawings. (laughs) So... And, and like Nick, I, I, I'm secure in myself. I, don't, I know there are certain gifts I have and don't have. <clears throat> I always said I have trouble with stick people even. So uh, so in blue, that becomes us, that self-centered in our world. And we got our world going. We got some things. We got some people in our world. And as we go on, we get some more things and maybe a little less people. But in this selfishness, that we continue to be self-centered in our focus, in our selfishness, some things will stay because they're just things, but people will eventually just continue to exit your life. Some, rather abruptly and like with big pomp and circumstance others just kind of fade away until it's just you like Nick Foles was just saying and at night you're just there alone and very sad selfishness leads to joylessness but selflessness needs meets us in a place where we can be and have a joyfulness. So we think through this. Unfortunately, some just keep on getting. But then we say, well, where's Jesus? Be Savior focused. He's always been there. Oftentimes on the outside of the circle, we just haven't noticed until we get to the point where for some, things just get so bad, nobody else is around, what do we do? We say, okay, Jesus is outside of that circle. And obviously what needs to take place is we need to get him inside. And as we think about that, there's something else that needs to be changed, not just to be, not to be self-centered, but Savior-centered, but to not be self-ruled, but Savior-ruled. And as we think through this, so what do we do? We ask Jesus to come into our circle. Say, come into my life. Although for some people, as you notice, like the cross that's up there, it's pretty much the same size as everything else. Jesus is just one of the things we added on to our life. For some people, it's really just religion. It doesn't matter what kind of church you go to. It just becomes just a religion, one of the many things. It's, 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 it's important, but it's just as important as anything else. We just add it. It doesn't change us. We're not going to find joy in that way. Others say, no, no. Jesus is really important. It's one of the biggest things in my life. It's Jesus. It's so important. I, I invite Him into my life and, and it, is, it is the biggest of the biggest important over everything else and over everyone else. And yet you still are not going to find the joy that we're looking for because of this. Because it's still, who's in the center? Who is on, and, and that chair, by the way, that's a 
we think of that, if you've seen these illustrations before, you know, you think of the chair as kind of like the throne. Who's the king? We're talking about those different kings today. Who's the king that's on the throne of our own lives? We still are. Scrooge, as heartless and cruel of a person he may have been, didn't care about others. We know he had those those, those kind of things. We we recognize uh, Scrooge was the one who uh, said, "Are there no prisons? Plenty of prisons. On union workhouses, are they still in operation? Both are very busy, sir. Those who are badly off must go there." Many can't go there and many would rather die. And what does Scrooge say? I think many of us are familiar. If they would rather die, they had better do it and decrease the surplus population. We think, wow, that's so cruel. But his cruelty cannot even come close to being matched by the cruelty of Herod. The original Scrooge and beyond, who himself didn't just talk about decreasing the surplus population, he did it himself. In fact, he began with his own family. Now, Scrooge, out of convenience, uh, the way he kept things going was he had like ten wives. Not that he cared about them. Well, one. He did care. I think her name was Marianne. He cared about her and had children with her. And he also had her and her children killed. Along with so many others related here and there. Anybody that would threaten his throne. Anybody that he somehow felt like is gonna, he can't stay on that throne. He can't stay in the center. Herod took out. Beheaded. Be done with callous and cruel. Here is, uh, and I'm sure we've seen times where uh, I, I was going to shy, but it did, didn't really need to at this point in the service. But you probably have seen pictures or videos of kids reacting badly to Christmas presents. Anybody seen those? Yeah, you know, like. Maybe you've seen it at home. You don't have to confess that right now. Uh, but, you know, they open something up and it's like, you know, they can't even fake it. They can't even like have the just the face of, I can't believe what I got. They just look at it and throw it down. And angry, throw a temper tantrum about this gift. How dare you? How could you be giving me uh, this, this, this? This stuff, I don't want this, I don't want it. You know, it's like... And yet, God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. He brought this gift. A gift greater than any gift anyone has ever received or any gift that's ever been given as Jesus humbled Himself, taking the form of a baby and came to this earth. A miraculous thing, a miraculous gift that was given. And Herod had the reaction of some spoiled child who did not want this at all. Angry. We read in chapter 2 of Matthew, 
In verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. You got to understand, all Jerusalem was disturbed not because there was a king that come to worship a king. All Jerusalem was disturbed because Herod was disturbed. You know, when Herod gets upset, heads will roll and it could be anybody, anywhere, anything. And it's going to be make it's going to be miserable for all of us. All because, and he really understood it. As much as they may not have fully understood what Christmas was all about in this coming, he understood that here was one who has come to rule. And he was the only one that was going to be seated on the throne. Not just the throne there in Jerusalem, but the throne that controlling his own life, his own destiny. He knew this was much more than a baby. This Christmas story shows the completely opposite reactions of of those that are in the world. You got King Herod who who wouldn't get off his throne and you got the wise men, the magi who came and, and they left their place. They left their home. They traveled a long, long distance, very difficult, even dangerous journey to seek someone greater that they would bow before. This be Savior ruled. You know, Second Corinthians chapter five verse fifteen talks about, and he died for all that those who live might live no longer live for themselves, but for him, and for their sake died and was raised. Jesus came so that we would no longer live for ourselves, but for Him. And there are those who understand this whole self-rule and, and who's in charge. And those of us who would say, you understand a child who says, you're not the boss of me. Because as adults, we still say that. We still think that. We don't want someone telling us what to do. We don't want someone being the boss of me. Well, I don't have a problem with that. Okay. What if right now in the service I told you to do something you didn't want to do that wasn't illegal, wasn't immoral, but was even something that I think we I could point to the Bible and something you should do? You know? Some of you might be thinking, try me. Well, what if it's not me trying you? What if it's God giving me a word of knowledge about the particular area in your life that you're not going to like this? Are we self-ruled or Savior-ruled? Yes, we have bosses in our life. Oh, I have a boss. I have to do what the boss says. Only because we choose to, though. Isn't that what we say sometimes? All right, I do it because that's what I have to do. That's what I choose to. But I'm still in charge. Yes, I listen to my boss, but I'm still in charge of my life. I made the decisions I'm going to do. And if someone crosses the line with us, if someone goes too far and what they're asking, then I'm going to stand up and demand my rights. And in that, we show that we are self-ruled, not Savior-ruled. All right. Not everybody has a rebellious streak that you can't tell me what to do attitude. And yet there are many, if not most of us, that have this attitude that needs to be in control. It, it makes us uncomfortable 
We are, are not fully happy when we don't have control. We say, I, I, I asked Jesus into the circle. I, I, I said, Jesus, take the wheel. Right? And that whole thing. I, I let Jesus take the wheel. Jesus is driving. I'm good. But you and I both know we're in the back seat saying, um, are you sure you want to turn that way? Uh, but, but, yep, this just, I think I would really like us to go this way. And then why are you, you're driving just, a, I think, a little slow. I think we, uh, how many think God should speed things up and things move slow sometimes? Okay. So who's really in control? Yeah, we say Jesus is in the driver's seat. He's got the wheel. But is it self-control? Is it self that's trying to to rule this? Or is it the Savior? What are we letting? Who's in the driver's seat? You know, it all goes counter to this worldly thinking that, that talks about, you know what, you just need to take care of yourself. Look out for number one. No one else will. What's wrong with saying put yourself first? Why, why, why can't I stand up for my rights, focus on myself, and take control of my life? That just seems like the, the thing that, that, that we're supposed to do. I mean, that's what everybody talks about. Everybody except Jesus. We said in Luke 9 and other places, If anyone would come after me, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, Daily and follow me. To die to self means my rights included. To die to self means my control. In Luke 7, chapter 17, verse 33, Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. We cannot put... Christ upon the throne of our life without kicking ourselves off. We cannot embrace the kingdom of God without denouncing the kingdom of me. And unfortunately, there are those who only in name only call Jesus Lord, but do not live it because there's still a self-rule and Jesus is not on the center and we are not humbly kneeling before him. You know, Jesus says, in John 17, that he would give us this full measure of his joy within us. The full measure of his joy. And that is his promise. And we wonder why we're not experiencing it, but we cannot be full. We cannot be filled, if you will, with the joy of Jesus as long as we are full of self. As long as we're sitting on the throne of what we want. Scrooge got a wake-up call. A wake-up call that he answered, so to speak. Romans chapter 2, verse 8 says, But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. But it wasn't too late for Scrooge. He was able to exchange that self-centered life, that self-ruled life, for a Savior-focused, Savior-ruling kind of life. It wasn't too late. It's not too late for us. It's not too late for anybody that's in your life that you're concerned about. It wasn't too late for the wise men. You know, the wise men were coming, and we we don't recognize that 
uh, because sometimes we go off of our Christmas carols and Christmas cards. But it says here in this passage in Matthew chapter 2 that the wise men showed up at the house, not the manger. Quite possibly two years later. What's the point in going? Uh, you know, they didn't think that because they were not focused on what they were getting out of it. It's not self. It's not just something that's religious. It's not just something to do. Is their desire was for this Savior and to bow down and worship Him, unlike Herod. And they went after it. And they continued to go after it. Even though it had already happened, they came. Let's not misunderstand that whole story of Scrooge is not just one about a guy who decided, all right, I need to turn my life around. I need to start doing good and that my good will outweigh my bad. In all of this, and we're talking about putting him on the throne of our life to understand this is not about trying to live a good life because we can't. We won't be able to. It is not by works that we are saved. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tell us. It is not by our good works that we're saved. But it is through faith. It is through what Christ does. It's not by anything we do or can possibly be good enough because there's no way that we can because all it takes is just one. You break the law in one place, you've broken the whole law of God. You can't make up for it. No matter how much good you do, it doesn't erase what we've done. Scrooge, uh, let me think of it this way. Scrooge is not the Grinch. You remember the story of the Grinch was his, well, his problem, one of the things they talked about his problem was his heart was two sizes too small. And his heart grew. Scrooge's heart was not too small. Scrooge's heart was dead. It didn't need to grow. He didn't need to start doing something more good. He needed to come alive. And for all of us, that's where it starts, is that we need to step across a line to recognize that we need to be brought to life. And then our life changes. To exchange our life. I ask the worship team to come on up. To exchange our life, to let Him change us. Think about what takes place. And I know oftentimes when we talk about Scrooge, we're only talking about the bad Scrooge, the first Scrooge. But the real Scrooge, the Scrooge that God would know would be the Scrooge that was changed and transformed into a man who was joyous, uh, that was not based on any circumstances, a man who was no longer self-focused or self-ruled, but allowed the Savior to rule in his life and it changed him forever. That is the kind of change that God wants to do in each and every one of us. And just want to encourage you today, if uh, for you, if that's something that needs to happen in your life, that you would reach out to Him, that you'd even come up here for prayer. We pray for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time and just ask that you would work and move, that we would be like the wise men willing to just lay ourself aside and get off the throne and bow down before you.
Lord, that we would recognize those areas of our life that we're still not only trying to control, but are still just about us. And that we would be able to die to self, deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow you as you ask. And live a life filled with each and every day, filled with your happiness. In your name, amen.